Welcome to the show, and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, as we explore everything from Space Kraken to Giant Sandworms. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash and use my code IsaacArthur. This video is sponsored by CuriosityStream. Get access to my streaming video service, Nebula, when you sign up for CuriosityStream using the link in the description. There are so many crazy alien conspiracy theories kicking around on the internet, it's tempting to just dismiss them all, but that's exactly what the aliens are hoping we'll do. So today we'll be contemplating the idea of alien conspiracies, mostly by asking ourselves how we'd do it if we were in their shoes and why we'd do it, or often, why we would not. This isn't an especially long episode, but if you're heading to the kitchen anyway for some hat-making foil, you might as well grab a drink and a snack. Conspiracy theories abound in all areas of discussion, but of course are pretty popular with aliens, governments, and the paranormal, and often you get all three for the price of one. That said, humans are sneaky devils, and while we might snicker at many a conspiracy theory, we certainly have had plenty of real ones throughout history, and probably many more that we've never heard about, as that's generally the point. And after all, if you don't believe in conspiracies, then you believe that everybody does everything they do in a completely above-board way, and never take any discreet action aimed at increasing their power or obtaining their goals, which one could argue is the craziest theory of them all. So while we'll be taking a tongue-in-cheek approach to the topic today, as we usually do in the Alien Civilization series, we're not going to waste any time mocking the ideas either. Of course that comment of a moment ago, that the point of conspiracies is usually to keep them quiet, is something worth mentioning up front. Any given conspiracy that's said to be ongoing and active has to meet the smell test of why it would still be in operation after being exposed. If aliens had the mission of abducting and probing humans and not getting caught, that mission is a total failure. Now they might not care if they got caught, but if they didn't, there's no reason to bother with secrecy to begin with, as any interstellar species could clearly overtly force us to give them people or have quietly abducted them and just not returned them at all. That's kind of how you have to approach conspiracies. Figure out what the action is and what the motive is and ask if it really makes sense or if there's another more obvious and effective way of doing it. Que bono, who benefits? That is not to say that all conspiracies are ultra-logical, quite to the contrary, Even the ones that work and only got exposed long after the fact often had enough flaws in them that they'd be rejected by audiences as unrealistic with too many plot holes. One of the theories for abductions I'd heard recently was that it was to create alien-human hybrids, and one version to prepare us for global warming. This one doesn't stick as humans require no adaptation to that personally unless the temperature rose so much we had to modify people, and everything else, to some new and massively different biology. Since such aliens pretty much by definition have easy remedies for CO2, like fusion or some better power source, and since such biological changes would be beyond overt, this wouldn't seem like a good plan. Which would seem to eliminate this scenario, but we can be a bit more creative maybe, because there is another reason to adapt humans specifically to higher carbon dioxide levels. An interesting and handy fact to remember during winter times, 
when CO2 levels rise to about three times the current atmospheric levels, which they often do inside poorly ventilated buildings in the winter, humans begin getting a bit dumber and more lethargic. And if you ever started feeling tired and dumb after a long lecture in a crowded classroom or conference room, it's quite likely that was a factor. Now if you're an alien who wants to remain fairly covert and are fairly benevolent but don't like overt involvement, tinkering with humans just a little to be better at handling CO2 without getting dumb and lethargic could probably be snuck in as a minor genetic tweak. Humans have been living inside enclosed and fire-heated buildings long enough that it's plausible a mutation that handled carbon dioxide better might pop up. Quite a stretch, but it would also explain doing it a lot. You don't abduct people as often as gets claimed for biological research, but trying to sneak the DNA into a ton of people so the gene spreads fast and quietly works. Not very well though, and you could presumably do this with a retrovirus or tiny little nanomachines too, some nasty infectious cold that improved our lungs just a smidge, and amusingly that would spread fastest in the places where CO2 indoor buildup was highest, poorly ventilated, crowded, heated buildings. There's also the question of who they are trying to stay secret from, and it isn't necessarily us. If you're a group from a civilization whose official policy is akin to the Star Trek Prime Directive, no interference with pre-interstellar civilizations, and you don't like that policy, you act in secret. You also might not care if we found out, if that civilization you're from doesn't monitor us too much and thus wouldn't notice we had noticed. Or you might just not care as long as you don't get caught red-handed. So you might be openly but not officially acting, just maintaining plausible deniability and reasonable doubt so you and your fellow conspirators don't get thrown into space prison. That one fits the level of evidence we often get too, assuming for the moment that evidence is real or some of it is. You might not even come from a species of little green or gray dudes. They might dress up as some other neighboring alien civilization or unknown aliens just to distract or point the finger elsewhere. Your own governing body might be a bit reluctant, if they think it was a naval civilization, to make an issue out of it. Heck, I wouldn't be surprised, assuming we ever enacted such a policy for dealing with primitive species we encountered, if people who disagreed with that policy decided to dress up as little green men when breaking the rules just to thumb their noses at the authorities. Anonymous aliens. But critically, the thing missing from alien hybrids as replacement scenarios is any actual hybrids. Our carbon dioxide case of a couple minutes ago, at least our version of it, was suggesting a minor change in DNA to help us handle breathing CO2, and probably not even of alien origin other than them being the ones designing the tweak. If you're trying to replace humans with yourself, or a mix of us with you as some form of conquest or colonization, your conspiracy needs to explain why you're making that effort, as opposed to outright attack. It also needs to explain why we're not coming up with tons of people sporting really weird DNA. Still, the absence of blatant hybrids would be implying they were content to go very, very slow to make it look rather natural, and it also assumes aliens have DNA, rather than using some other combination of amino acids, of which there are tons that might have evolved and worked just as well on alien worlds or put forth the effort to understand ours in great detail. However, we're not trying to debunk individual conspiracies today, but rather ask how they might work. Why would you need to go subtle instead of just blowing into our solar system with an armada and planting your flag on top of a mountain of human skulls? Well, as we often mentioned here, if you've got one set of aliens near enough to interact with Earth, you've got a ton more not that much farther away, 
who probably keep tabs on you and might object for any number of reasons, benevolent or selfish, to you just conquering planets. Nor does it have to be another race either, it could be members of your own species who were just nicer than you, or very much not nicer for that matter. You might have a species that tolerated other intelligent civilizations so long as they stayed at home, but didn't let them travel out to the stars. Due to the massive genetic drift you'd expect in an ancient and interstellar empire, they might have some official rule about how much DNA of theirs was enough to be one of them, so some kinder hearted rebels might sneak onto primitive planets and slowly splice a little of their qualifying but irrelevant genetic code into us so we couldn't be banned from the galactic travel list. While alien conspirators are often portrayed as pretty evil, it's usually the kinder and more benevolent motives for hypothetical conspiracy that make a bit more sense, though mostly because the more sinister options tend to be ruled out by not needing to be slow or subtle about it. If you've got interstellar travel and want humanity dead, and nobody but current humanity can stop you, then you can crush us like a bug. Such being the case, malevolent motives and conspiracies don't tend to work too well together. You can contrive various explanations for not overtly attacking us, and there's obviously no shortage of conspiracy theories that have, but they require a lot more contortions to make sense, or they just have a pretty vague purpose in mind. The Black Knight satellite is one such example, a hypothetical alien spy satellite that's been in polar orbit of Earth for 13,000 years. Various folks have proposed why it does this spying, and some have said it was shot down by an elite Illuminati task force as well or that there are many of them. However, we might want to ask why it was there in the first place, and I don't mean to spy on us, its purpose, but rather its place, why it was in orbit. Now on first glance that makes sense, and indeed in past episodes we suggested an alien civilization would generally leave probes in orbit of Earth to monitor for signals, rather than just waiting for weak signals to reach them at radio telescopes many light years away. However, you really wouldn't want to put them in low orbit. Oh, to be sure, if you wanted to see the ground you want them real close, folks often forget that satellite imagery we see, often zoomed in enough to make out buildings and vehicles, is only taken from a few hundred kilometers up, not the tens of thousands it is to geostationary orbit for instance. And distance matters, the Hubble telescope for all that it sees very distant galaxies isn't high enough resolution to even make out the equipment we left on the Moon, our nearest neighbor. Galaxies are generally many trillions of times farther away than that, or more, they just happen to be ridiculously big and bright compared to a moon rover. Still, things in low orbit don't last long, as the atmosphere is still there, just very thin. And it's quite hard to hide something there, especially if it has fuel or gear for station keeping, as is implied by being up there for thousands of years. Instead you'd build something farther up and just make it bigger. That's not really a problem, Hubble isn't our biggest telescope by any means, it's just the biggest we could economically get into space intact and functional at the time, and you can make a telescope pretty darn stealthy if you want to. You could also be building your spy base on the dark side of the moon, which of course is not dark in terms of daylight, just dark to us because the moon is tidally locked and always shows us the same face, so we can't see that side, at least not till we could send satellites around it, and they've hardly built up a super detailed high resolution map even today, so you wouldn't need to conceal that base too much, and excavating on the moon isn't terribly hard, just park your base in some underground lava tube with a concealed entrance. Can't do much spying there directly of course, but you could easily launch probes from there or send a mobile scope along the ground to hang around the edge and peek at us, 
You just make sure those short-term and low-altitude satellites, if you're using them and replacing them, are set up to burn up on entry to the atmosphere, and fairly natural looking when they do, and just deorbit them when a meteor shower is going on. That hardly disproves the Black Knight satellite theory though, it still does make perfect sense to stick satellites around Earth and the closer the better, if your technology is up to the task of keeping it there for thousands of years, and honestly that's not something requiring advanced sci-fi super technology. Evidence against this one is mostly just that it would be a pain in the butt compared to some other spy satellite options, and the questions of what they need high resolution imagery for, which we'll get to in a moment. Of course an alien base on the dark side of the moon is a popular theory too. It is actually a good spot for one, everything else in the solar system is much farther away and rotates so we can see it occasionally. The only other, totally concealed spot is Earth's Lagrange 3 point with the Sun, on the exact opposite side of the Sun is us. If you're going for long-term concealment, you'd expect us to look at the back side of our moon before we looked around our own Sun. However, you're not buying yourself much extra time, as you'd expect the first probe beyond the moon to take a peek at the Earth-Sun L3, and it wasn't even a decade after we took photos of the dark side of our moon that we did that. And the moon is closer and you can dig into it and get raw materials from it. So as hidden bases in our solar system go, it's the best one for spying on us unless you want to dig into some distant comet or Kuiper object and build a very big telescope. That raises the question of what the base is for though. The galaxy is beyond ancient, by any human standards, and humans are pretty old too. It's highly unlikely anyone who didn't know of us only recently discovered us, and they could have harvested any data they wanted, and entirely secretly, during any period until very recently. We wouldn't even know if they flat out landed a big ship in a remote village even in the 1800s and took everyone, or zapped them all unconscious and probed them then dumped some whiskey or rum on them to make it seem like a festival gotten out of hand. And everything about us is the same now as back then or earlier, except our technology and culture, which they can easily get all pertinent info about from our own radio and TV. I can't imagine they'd actually care much about our technology either, beyond monitoring the general details, it's not like they'd be confused about how our smartphones worked or wanted to rip off our patents, and if for some reason they did, I'd be pretty confident they could just sneak an Android into our patent office or sneak into a bedroom of someone who worked there, pop their eyeball out and replace it with a facsimile with a camera and transmitter, and call it a day. Of course they might be content to just hack our internet, they are presumably not going to find that challenging, and beyond all our scientific data being out there, it's also where we keep most of our art and literature, which is another thing they might be interested in. In Secret Aliens I suggested there might be a rather large black market in primitive world memorabilia and art. If they're spying on us now, you need a reason why they could only start doing it recently, or need some data that only became available recently. Our biology is unchanged since technology arose, so it's not that, ditto our basic psychology. And even if the reason is that they are newcomers on the galactic stage, that just raises the question of who used to be doing it before them, because someone probably was, and why you can't just ask them for the data they gathered. I mean we would absolutely spy on any civilization we encountered while out in the galaxy, and the only reason we might not is that we might just opt to land and say hello instead. I doubt we'd be keeping that data secret from anyone, including other alien folks we met out there and became friends or allies with. Of course they might have died off recently and the new galactic community is whatever arose from the ash heap of the previous galactic empire, 
The odds that such a thing existed for billions of years and just happened to collapse recently doesn't actually matter, as that would fall under the anthropic principle if they were suppressing or obliterating species that got advanced during their empire. If someone was going around killing smart critters off, and just recently stopped, whoever arises afterward is going to think they were lucky, but only someone lucky could ever notice that. It does beg the question of why they let anything intelligent exist, or any life exist, that wasn't of their creation, but I suppose you might be fine with wiping out competing intelligent life forms while still valuing life overall, and just wait to act till the threat began emerging, which is easy enough to do if you're spying on those planets. And if your empire was just starting to crumble for some reason, you might be fine with letting the primitives survive and replace you, even if you weren't happy about going down yourself. You didn't hate them, you just didn't want the competition. Though even there, it would seem to make more sense to just be keeping probes around with orders to send some drones in if they saw signs of basic technology like fire, and just zap that tribe, or be a little less heavy-handed and infect them with a virus to be a bit stupider. The ancient aliens issue was always a big problem for conspiracy theories, and we looked at that before in the episode Ancient Aliens, because you always need to account for what happened to the ancient empires. Why alien visitors hung out here in the past but don't now, or what they are still doing here now for that matter too. Again, we broadcast everything they'd really need to know if they just wanted to keep up with how we changed since then, and they could probably be keeping legions of androids or animal appearing robots on our planet to keep tabs on us. Your cat or dog might be spying on you right now for their alien masters. Heck, they are better spies than people are. Most of us are pretty casual about walking around undressed and unrestrained around our pets, and cats stare at us all the time and dogs follow us everywhere we go. Even without really advanced technology, you could slap an awful lot of spy gear into our pets. Some android cat can probably get away with sleeping next to folks' heads at night, and scanning their brains. That would generally qualify as an enemy within type of conspiracy theory, and unsurprisingly there are some classification systems for there. One by Jesse Walker includes five kinds. The enemy within, conspirators lurking inside a group indistinguishable from regular folks, or pets. The enemy outside, your default alien conspiracy of course, or one by a rival nation, since it's not limited to aliens. The enemy above, which is not referring to altitude, but one by folks at the top of the social order working to their own gain like CEOs or government officials. We also have the enemy below, which is also not Morlocks or Chuds but rather folks at the bottom working to overturn the social order. And lastly benevolent conspiracies, those meant to help folks out, which obviously could be done by any of the other four types in terms of origins, but generally implies a different motive and operational behavior. Aliens working to give us improved capacity for handling CO2, as we suggested earlier, who were using android pets to spy on us and infect us with changes, would presumably be the enemy outside, within, and benevolent, all three. Obviously this categorization is general. We also have Michael Balkin's categorization method, Event, Systemic, and Super Conspiracy. Event conspiracies are pretty specific, like a cover-up of a murder or assassination or a coup. Systemic conspiracy theories would usually be the big sweeping and enduring organized ones like the Illuminati and whatever world-changing machinations they are accused of, while super conspiracy theories are where you start linking up lots of theories into some interconnected web, 
essentially how Bigfoot is teamed up with the Loch Ness Monster to help get out the truth that the moon landings were faked, but only because the real landing did occur, but encountered aliens who are building new pyramids on the moon and told NASA and the CIA to cover it up or else, and bribed our leaders to start introducing mind control drugs with contrails, that sort of thing. Of course while I did just make that one up completely and generally roll my eyes at examples of super conspiracies, I again want to emphasize that we do actually have conspiracies occur, and the goal of the episode isn't to mock anyone who happens to believe in one I happen not to believe in. Super conspiracies I make an exception for since they generally fit together lots of unrelated things whose apparent goals and motives would be seemingly contradictory. It's plausible you might have a fairly convoluted conspiracy even by rather clever and advanced civilizations, as I mentioned near the start, most known conspiracies generally were held together by improvisation, duct tape, and superglue, so pointing out some holes or better ways to achieve a goal doesn't necessarily kill the idea. In the end though, you still have to ask not just what are they doing, but why they are doing it, and why they are doing it the way they seem to be doing, and if the theory is leaking all over the place, it's probably because it's full of hot air not solid concepts and reasoning. And I've yet to hear a good reason for why aliens would cross the vast interstellar void just to break out the probes and advance their knowledge of human proctology. Of course if there really is a galactic community out there, and if most alien conspiracy theories are true, there's probably whole planets full of space lawyers handling class action suits against this or that alien civilization or group by various no longer primitive species for all the sinister stuff done to them. This would presumably include sabotaging efforts to research life extension to make sure nobody was still around from their probing days to take them to court for that. Galactic communities and alliances are common enough in science fiction, and one of the ways that might take shape would be some loose set of treaties for defense, trade, and courts for handling lawsuits. But there may be some other, stranger reasons to work together, and we'll be examining that in the fourth installment of our Nebula exclusive series, Coexistence with Aliens, Alliances, which is out today as well. You can check that out, or the three previous episodes, Xenopsychology, Trade, and War, or get to see early releases of our bonus episodes by joining Nebula today. Nebula, our new subscription streaming service, was made as a way for education-focused independent creators to try out new content that might not work too well on YouTube, where algorithms might not be too kind to some topics, or demonetize certain ones entirely, or just doesn't fit our usual content. And if you'd like to get free access to it, it does come as a free bonus with a subscription to Curiosity Stream, which also has thousands of amazing documentaries you can watch, on top of the Nebula exclusive content from myself and many other creators like CGP Grey, Minute Physics, and Wendover. A year of Curiosity Stream is just $19.99 and it gets you access to thousands of documentaries, as well as complimentary access to Nebula for as long as you're a subscriber and use the link in this episode's description, curiositystream.com slash Isaac Arthur. We've been spending a lot of time looking at aliens and interstellar civilizations and far future topics of late, so next week we'll come back to the here and now, or at least to the Moon and the 24th century to ask how we can go about using the Moon as our springboard into interplanetary civilization, beginning with Moon, Industrial Complex. The week after that we'll ask the big question, of why life exists. For alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, 
and if you enjoyed this episode, hit the like button and share it with others. Until next time, thanks for watching, and have a great week.